0: If I didn't say this while ago, open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Wow, great two songs leading into this message. The one about the waves. We've got a lot of waves in our country right now, don't we? And they seem to be just incessant. They just keep coming. And then we sing that song of blessing, which is really just a call to Christ to Bring peace to these waters, and um, man, we need them. Uh, been seeking God's words again for the next in this mini series within a series uh, on racism, and I found some words this week by Tony Dungy, head football coach, Super Bowl winning coach, uh, and he had some things that he said that I think I want to lead with before we bow as a church in prayer i summarize what's on my heart and probably the hearts of many of you. See, America's in a very sad place today. We've seen a man die senselessly at the hands of the very people who are supposed to be protecting our citizens. We've seen people protest this event by destroying property and the dreams of the people in their community, the very people who they're protesting for. We have many people pointing fingers of blame Painting the opposite side with a very broad brush, we have anger and bitterness winning out over logic and reason. We have distrust and prejudice winning out over love and respect. What happened to George Floyd was inexcusable and should never have happened. And justice needs to be served. But in seeking justice, we cannot fall into the trap of prejudicing every police officer we see. What started out as peaceful protests have developed into arson, And looting, that should never have happened either. Yes, there should be protests. But we do not have license to perform criminal acts because we are angry. Today we are a divided country. We're divided racially, we're divided politically, and we're divided socioeconomically. Satan is laughing at us. Because that's exactly what he wants. dysfunction and mistrust actually advances his kingdom, not the Lord's. But what's the answer then? Tony writes, I believe it has to start with those who claim to be Christ followers. We have to come to the forefront and we have to display qualities of the one who we claim we follow, Jesus Christ. And in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, injustice anywhere is a threat to injustice everywhere. But we can't go forward with judgmental and bitter spirits. He writes, we need to be proactive and we need to do it in the spirit of trying to help make things better. And it can't be just the African-American churches. It has to be all churches. And I will add my voice. It has to be the KCC church. That we'll stand and we will dialogue and we will listen and we will help wherever we possibly can as a church. He goes on to finish by saying, we have to realize we're not fighting the battle Against flesh and blood. It's higher than that. We're fighting against Satan and the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of darkness, for the kingdom of heaven. The Apostle Paul said, and I'll end with these words do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we come to you this morning, and I just thank you for our brother Tony, credible follower of Christ. A person of color who's being a major voice right now in these times—not one that's heard by a lot of folks, but still a major voice. And I thank you for his words that he shared that we could we could hear this morning. But we come to you soaked with the waves that have been rolling over us: this virus, uh, the reaction to what happened to a, a man's life being taken—that's just—it's just not stopping. Father, we 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 don't want. To turn a deaf ear we don't want to to allow injustices that still are a part of our country to continue but we ask for you to please through the power of your name through the power of the Holy Spirit to come and to speak peace into our country to speak peace into our hearts and I ask father for you to come and speak through me this morning you know the, the sack lunch of a lesson that I brought and I just ask that you would please take it and mold it and shape it and break it like you did on that beach so many years ago for that young boy and turn it into a feast for us here today and maybe others who are going to hear this through the podcast and through television. Thank you. Thank you for your promise that your word will not come back void, that it will matter. Please allow it to matter through the power of your spirit. We know we're not the only ones who are asking that prayer. We know Barnett Chapel this morning, our brothers there and sisters there are praying these same prayers, requesting that you come, that you work, you move among us. Would you please knit our hearts together? Please help us to be one so that we can help this country be one. In Christ's name we pray and everybody (laughs) said. I received a FaceTime message this week from a friend of mine in Ruedosa. Her name is Summer. She's a neat Christian young lady. She's 32 years old. One lively, movie-loving, passionate singer who has some... Special challenges mentally. We hung out almost every Sunday after church for a few minutes the last few years, that I was there at Gateway and Rueda. And I haven't seen or talked to her for quite some time, and so it kind of stunned me when I received a FaceTime call from her. I answered the call, and she was obviously distressed. I said, Summer, you look sad. Can you tell me what the problem is? She said, well, my mom asked me to clear a table in my room. And I said, well, why? She said, to make room for a TV that I wanted. I said, well, wow. I know sometimes changes can be tough, but hey, you get to get a TV in your room. What's the problem? (sighs) It's hard making changes when I don't want to make them. And I smiled and I said, wow, God, thanks. That's the introduction to my sermon for Sunday. Because if Making changes that are hard are something we don't like to do, and so we just don't do them because they're hard. And that means that we're reluctant to do so because of just being lazy, just being tired, just being angry. It may mean that we're just as equally mentally challenged, or at least we're at least heart-challenged. Accepting changes we don't want to make is always hard. And right now we're being asked to look at some things that we may have to change. And so we're asking God's Spirit to give us wisdom and to give us discernment about what those might be. Peter in Acts chapter 10 is being asked to make some changes to his racist tendencies. He's lived with all his life. Tendencies he, did, he, he never saw as wrong. Tendencies he certainly didn't want to make. But God initiates in a request to change through a vision. We saw this last week. He's up on a roof praying, and it's a little warm. Peter's not eating, and so he gets a little sleepy. You've, you've had that happen. But before he naps, Peter orders some food from his family. And while they're preparing it, God hands him a menu he's never ordered off of before. You see, an Orthodox Jew had food laws in Holy Scripture that prevented them from eating certain animals, and if they did, they would be ceremonially unclean. We know that. This prohibited Peter from fellowship both with God and with his family. If he had done so, at least he thought. But this menu gets dropped in his lap, we're told, in the form of a sheet that he says came down from heaven and was placed right in his lap, again filled with all these animals for which had never passed his lips. And yet God says to him, I want you to rise, and I want you to kill, and I want you to eat. Peter says, I have never, Lord, and I will never. He does that three times. Sidebar. When God asks you to do something specific, it's always a good idea just to do it. Back in. Three times the sheet comes back down. And three times Peter refuses to obey God. Interesting that there's three men who are knocking on his door and asking if they could see him when the, the spirit comes to Peter and says, Simon, there's three guys that are looking for you. So I want you to get up and I want you to go downstairs, and I don't want you to hesitate. To see them. I've sent them. And the scripture that you're reading up there says, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Well, let me condense this. They tell him. Their boss, this uh, high-ranking Roman soldier, his name's Cornelius, had sent them because an angel had visited him and said, bring you back to Cornelius' home and share with us what's on your heart. Well, the next day, the scripture says, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrives in Caesarea and Cornelius is expecting them and he calls together his relatives and his close friends and as Peter enters the house, Cornelius meets him and falls at his feet in reverence. I tried to get Gail to do this, but she just won't. But Peter makes him get up and says, look, I'm only a guy just like you. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Wasn't expecting that. And he said to them in the most socially sensitive way that he could, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Not exactly warm and fuzzy, huh? Well, Cornelius has to be a good man and a good heart because the next verse doesn't say he punched him in the mouth and threw him out the door. But instead, he explains about this angel that he had visit him and instructed him to come get Peter and bring him to his house to hear what was on his heart. And I love this because Peter responds by saying, Wow, I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every, listen to this church, nation, As we saw last week, every ethnic group who fears him and does what is right. I'm going to summarize again. Then Peter launches into telling him about Jesus. Tells him about this God who came and got in a And through the people of Israel, he reveals his Holy Spirit and his power. A man who predicted his death and resurrection and then pulls it off. And he says, we were witnesses to all of it. We shared meals with him. We received the commission from him to go and tell the world all about this Jesus whom God has appointed as judge over the living and the dead, Scripture says. And he finishes with this, and that everyone who believed in him would receive forgiveness for sins in his name. (laughs) Now, I love this. Before Peter can get to now, let's stand and sing. Y'all are familiar with that, right? The Holy Spirit interrupts this message. And the Scripture says he falls on them And in a holy way, they start praising God and and start speaking in holy tongues. And it just rocks Peter's boat. But it confirms God's all over this. So much so he says, you know what we need to do now? We need to get these folks down to the water and we've got to baptize them. Because God's moving here. And that's exactly what they did. And Peter never saw God this coming. Now, if you're reading Dr. Luke's account of this for the very first time, you'd be thinking probably like I was thinking that, man, when the folks back at the mother church hear about this, they're going to go crazy. And they do, but not, yay, God, crazy, yes. No, it's more like, oh, God, no, crazy. Luke says in the very next chapter, Peter is explaining to them what happened at Cornelius' home. And the text says some circumcised believers get a little upset, get a little indignant. Not because the Holy Spirit fell on a different race, or because Peter baptized a different race, but because he ate a meal with a different race. You went into the house of an uncircumcised man and you ate with them. Man, that just has an ugly tone to it, doesn't it? Well, I'm going to show you racism always does. I can say with every degree of certainty, I have never met a Christian who says only a select few races get into heaven. But you know what I have met? Many who hope certain races never eat with them or attend their church or make their way into their eldership or serve on their school board or teach their kids soccer or worse, marry one of my kids. I don't know what your experience has been with people of a different race. I would like to briefly share with you mine. Most of my early school years were spent in San Antonio, Texas. And all of my classes were as interracial as I think probably most schools are that are interracial. My first girlfriend's name was Rebecca Hidalgo. I know it was love because we went to the principal's office together. And I gave her a dollar bracelet that had her name on it spelled wrong. Went to Laura Steele and I went to Kate Shake Elementary. Both of them had equal numbers of blacks and Hispanics and whites in their elementary schools. That all changed when we moved to Bridge City, Texas. The school was literally all white. Not a single person of color attended it, and I thought that was kind of strange. Never been in that environment before. Even more interesting was our town was all white. I found out later it was due in part because of the influence of the KKK. Bridge City was one of those towns, that was called a sundowner town, a town where blacks were warned not to be after dark. Viter, Texas was just 20 minutes from us. They had some type of leadership in the KKK. And I actually saw on the way to a tennis tournament one time a hand-painted sign that says, do not let the sun set on your head, and a racial slur followed that. This was 1977, folks. Just before I moved away from Bridge City to New Braunfels, Texas, there was a street dance that was supposed to take place, and it did, at the shopping center uh, right outside the skating rink. I got permission from my parents to go, and when I arrived, there wasn't any dancing going on. Just music and a lot of standing around. And it might have been because of the white Cadillac that was there in the parking lot that was there with some men in some white robes around it, and the back end was up, and you could see seven shotguns inside it. Kind of hard to dance with that. Some men had heard that there was going to be some blacks from West Orange Stark just right up the road who were going to come attend the dance, not assault it, just come. That's the community where my early teen years were spent. And the church that we attended there on and off reflected the same attitude. We were an all-white church, and we were going to stay an all-white church. Now, it was a church that would say it preached the cross, but I can assure you this, we didn't live it. While we believed all races were welcome in heaven, we didn't believe or practice that they should come to our church. Now, before you're quick to judge the church of my youth, please let me say this. You need to realize that more churches are like the church of my youth than they would ever like to admit. Pure research reveals 90% of all churches today are monoracial one single race attending that church primarily. Now, that would be outrageous in any other institution in America. If you can imagine 90% of your universities only enrolling a certain race, or 90% of our sports teams only playing with one people of race, or or, or supposing that 90% of our banks only did business with clients of one race, that would be nuts. The American church, however, is the only major institution where the law allows segregation. And so American churches today are 10 times more segregated than their local neighborhoods. And they're 20 times more segregated than their nearby schools. Martin Luther King was absolutely right when he said Sunday is the most segregated day of the week. He said that in the 60s, but not much has changed. And I already know the feedback. Well, Jimmy, people just like to worship with their own kind. It's just easier to do that. People are just more comfortable in their culture and style that they're used to. And I would say to that, you are right, it is easier. It is more convenient, but at the center of the cross for me is sacrifice, not a lazy boy. At the center of my faith is a Savior who could have chosen easy and stayed in his heaven, but rather chose messy over easy. And he came to this earth, and he served people of all races, and he died on a cross for all people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. I don't preach for a Savior who died easy, or who dreams easy. I preach for a Savior whose dream was a church that would be multiracial over monoracial. And that's always messy. It's always a challenge. And if that seems like a mystery to any one of us, I want you to know it was to the early church, even the apostles who walked with Jesus for years. But man, I love a good mystery. How about you? I love a good story that includes the writer throwing in a twist that you just didn't see coming. I mean, who could forget the mystery of Luke Skywalker's dad? We we didn't see this coming—that he was his father, right? I didn't see it coming. Who would have seen in the movie Sixth Sense that Bruce Willis was dead the whole movie? I didn't see that coming. And who would have thought that the magician had a twin brother in the movie The Prestige? If you hadn't seen that yet, sorry, spoiler alert. Years and years ago, that movie came out 10 years ago. Great movie, though. Who would have saw that coming? I love a good mystery. And interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul chooses the word mystery when he talks about two major truths in Scripture for followers of Christ. The first is this. It's the mystery that God can live in anybody. Have you made that connection as you've been reading through Paul's letters? How significant that mystery was that God can live in anybody? I mean, come on. God taking up residence in a special building like a temple? We could see that. God taking up residence in a body? A little bit more of a stretch, but we could see that. But no way God takes up residence in me. No way, sorry. Way. Scripture says way. Paul writes especially this, specifically this, verse 25 in Ephesians chapter 2. I have become the church's servant by commission of God. He gave me this commission to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Okay, you ready? Buckle your seatbelt. Here we go. Which is Christ in Ta da! That's what Paul's trying to say as he writes to the left. Ta da! This has been something that's been held secret, kept secret, but now it's been made known to you. The God who resided in a tent or a temple wasn't enough. A God in a bod that could touch and talk and admire and that we could kill? Not enough. He wanted closer. So Paul says, this is the mystery. Christ came to be in you, and nobody saw this coming. But it's not the only mystery that God and Paul and the apostles presented to the church. He uses this term mystery one more time, so stay stay with me. Yes, to describe a God who will live in anybody, but look at this, number two, that we could love everybody. That's going to take some help. That's why he offers the first. Can't pull this off by ourselves. Nobody was pulling it off by themselves until he came. Through Jesus, God makes it possible not just for the Jewish race to be saved, but all races, all nations, all ethnic groups join together in one body of the church, one family, one temple. Now that was stunning then, and it's equally stunning now when you can find it. Are you telling me, Jimmy, that racial unity is one of the primary purposes of the cross? You just sang it a few moments ago. Yes. But don't take my word for it. Take Paul's. Listen to what he says. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has been now revealed by the Spirit of God and His holy apostles. This mystery is that through the gospel, here it is, The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. How is that possible, Paul? Keep reading. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of His death on this cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. No, you're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are His house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Himself. Oh, we are so carefully joined together in Him becoming a holy temple for the Lord, because through Him you Gentiles are also being made a part of this dwelling where God's Spirit lives. Wow, I'm trying to get the point of all this. (laughs) I hope you do too. Church, the cross made it possible for me to get saved. Yes, hallelujah. But listen to me. The cross made it possible for us to get along. Hallelujah to that. It's the only way we can. The cross declares war on walls. Remember it that way. The cross simply declares war on walls. The walls between me and God that my my sin made possible and the walls between me and you, usually that pride makes possible and selfishness makes possible. Paul, God's chosen vessel, was sent to deliver the news of those two incredible mysteries. God could come live in me and we could love each other. Today God's inviting you to hear it. He's inviting you to believe it. But He's asking you to take up your cross. It's... Not about me. Now I want you to remember as we close that Paul was the primary church planter in the early days of the church. Two-thirds of our New Testament are just letters that he's he's written writing to those churches. And so I'm wondering, have we forgotten church? That every church he planted, excuse me, was multiracial? In case you want to know, it's on the pulpit there, it's not on the ground. Every church he planted was multiracial, not monoracial. And it would have been so much easier not to do that. As we looked last week, we know the tensions between Jew and Greek and Gentile were every bit, if not more, greater than the tensions between blacks and people of color and non-color and yellow colors and red colors. They had different food tastes. They had different dating practices. They had days off that were not the same. Their worship values were different. They they held different views on on women. Blah, 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 blah. Not to mention circumcision. Which if I had been a Gentile male wanting to become a Christian, I'd had trouble with that too. It would have been easy for Paul to say, listen to me, you Jews, you just worship over in that house, and you Gentiles, you just worship over in that house, and once a year we'll come together for a unity service. What do you say? didn't do that because Jesus died to make a better way Jesus died to make it possible no to make it a priority that we were better together now I may be wrong but for those of you who are thinking this issue of race isn't worth talking about especially in church I need to let you know Jesus made it clear it was worth dying for He never saw our unity as something that was serendipitous, some kind, of, some kind of possibility of the cross. No, He saw it as central priority. The question for me is, is will I make it mine? There are some very specific ways that we can. And you know what? Next week in Lesson 3, we're going to talk about exactly those things. But I'm asking you in the meantime to please pray this prayer. God, what about all this are you trying to say to me? If this is a priority for you, Oneness amongst the races. How do we make that a priority for our church, which has your name on it, by the way? What do you want to say to me? Not to the elders, not to Jimmy. What are you trying to say to me about this, in all this? Brother, for you to see that the multiracial church is a priority, I needed to remind you this week it was a priority for Jesus. Because I know you're trying to follow him. So this is just a reminder. Remember, priority for Christ. And the reason is, just a preview for next week, is racial unity preaches the gospel in a way that our words can. Racial unity preaches the gospel in a way that our words can. That's next week, though. Enough from words from my mouth. I want to leave you with a picture for your heart. I know if you've been on your computer, if you've been on television, you have been bombarded with images that have filled your mind and words that have filled your heart, reinforcing of how ugly racism can be. But I want to end today's message with an image from your from your preacher. That I hope hits your heart about how beautiful racial unity can be. It comes from a movie that I think ranks as one of the top five most inspirational movies ever probably one of the top ten movies in my life. It's called Remember the Titans. It's based on a true story that occurred when I was in middle school, and it focuses on the events that took place in Virginia. Forced integration was underway, and how it was impacting the community was chronicled through its impact on a football team. The white players weren't happy to play with the black players, and the black players weren't happy to play with the white players. The star players of the two groups, Gary, the left-side linebacker, and Julius, the strong-side linebacker, highlight what goes on in the movie. When they meet, immediate conflict. But then in the course of the season, they become friends. No, they become family. It's because their common purpose for a mission that they were both excited about superseded their differences. And they finally realize that they are actually better together. But before the big championship game, Gary's in a car accident. And Julius learns that Gary's paralyzed from the waist down, and the one person Gary wants to see is Julius. Why? Watch. Only Ken's allowed in here. Alice, are you blind? Don't you see the family resemblance? That's my brother. You should see my Camaro. Man, I sure am sorry, man. I should have been there with you. What are you talking about? You would have been in the bed right next to me. You can't be hurt like this. You... you Superman. I was afraid of you, Julius. I only saw what I was afraid of. And now I know I was only hating my brother. i tell you what, though. Um, when all this is over, you and you're gonna move out the same neighborhood together. Okay, and, um, we'll get old, we'll get fat. And there ain't gonna be all this black-white between us. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning grateful you have made a way first of all for us to be able to just come into your presence by the blood of your son Jesus thank you, thank you for the gift we don't don't deserve that We, we can barely even comprehend that you would do that for us and that you wouldn't stop there that you wouldn't just forgive us you would empower us through coming to live inside us. That was a mystery. When you first spoke of it, it's still a mystery now that we're trying to, by faith, allow to to live out in our lives. But Father, this last mystery, we just can't seem to get our hands, we can't get our hearts around it, we can't get our minds around it. We need you. If we really can be one, if you can bring together races of different color, different nationalities, different origins of birth, would you help us be a leading force in that? I just want to say thank you for where you've brought us so far. I just want to say thank you for the hearts that you soften and, and, and the welcome that's been a part of this church family where people of races are coming to be a part of our church. But God, we know we can do more. You know, you can take us us deeper, you can take us wider, you can take us further. And so together as a church family, we're asking you, would you do that? Do what we can't do for ourselves. Would you speak a word to us individually this week? You've you've made it clear today that this is priority for you. We want it to be a priority for us. We just don't know how sometimes. Please, show us next steps. You've been so faithful to take us this far. We're just going to trust you'll take us the rest of the way. For we ask us humbly in Christ's name. And everybody said. Summer said, I hate making changes that I don't want to make. Man, could I relate to that. And I know you can too. God's not asking us to do it alone. He's asking us to do it together. Let's stand. Let's celebrate that together.